book of Psalms, our series titled Songs for Our Heart. And so while you've taken out your Bibles, turn to Psalm 32, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time here tonight. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we had so much fun and joy in worshiping you and all that you've done and all that you are, Father. And so, Lord, as as we turn out to your word and you reveal your word and more of who you are to us and what you've done for us, Father God, I pray that you would speak that truth to our hearts, Father God, that we would hold on to it. That would be the joy of our life, the strength of our life, Father God. That we would learn to hold on to you tighter and tighter because of it, Father God. Lord, reign in our hearts here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we come to Psalm 32. It's the second of the so-called penitential psalms. And this psalm is also the first of 12 psalms that bear the title of Maskell, which has been interpreted several different ways. It can be a skillful song. It's a song of instruction, a contemplative poem. I see it more as an instructional uh, psalm where the instruction is given or it comes through contemplation. It's one of those where what's said, you consider it, and as you consider it, you know what you need to do. And so the title of the message tonight is The Joy of Forgiveness. This instructional psalm is used by the Jews at the close of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, on that one day out of the year in which all of Israel's sins is covered by the blood sacrifice. At the end of that ceremony, they would sing this psalm. The church on whole would have it as their closing song on Ash Wednesday. This psalm is a psalm of forgiveness, or actually it's the experience of forgiveness and the resulting joy that comes from that. And everyone who is here tonight who has experienced that forgiveness of God can attest to the fact that there is a joy of being forgiven. Because to be forgiven results in emotion. It defies description. There's no other way to describe it other than I'm forgiven. The relief of an enormous burden that's lifted, an insurmountable debt that's been canceled, a conscience cleared, able to rest, guilt erased. Some burdens are so heavy that they consume us, right? There's some weights that we carry around that sap our energy from us. There is no burden to carry around greater than the burden of unresolved and unforgiven guilt. King David, known as the man after God's own heart, knew well what it was to carry this burden. Though blessed greatly, given many words of prophecy and a lifetime of victory, yet committed some of the vile, callous acts known to man. Adultery, and then the murdering of an innocent to cover up the sin of adultery. But this psalm here tonight is the testimony of the joy of forgiveness. Starting in verse 1, David writes, he says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, 
How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place and you protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Salah. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And so we see this psalm break down into three topics, three, three divisions. The first division, as we talk about the joy of forgiveness, it's that experience of forgiveness, that experiencing forgiveness. And David describes it or talks about it. He says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, how joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, King David is beginning his psalm describing this joy for the one who's been forgiven. He can describe this accurately because as I said, and as we're going to see a little later down in his own testimony of him coming and finding forgiveness. Now, David uses three words for sin that we find here. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. Transgression is the Hebrew word peshah. And it literally means a going away or a departure. What it is, is it's in the sense of a rebellion against the normal, against the righteous. It's a rebellion against God and his authority. So when someone says, I've committed a transgression, they're saying, I've committed a rebellion against God. Like they knew what was right, but they chose to do what they wanted against God and his authority. The second word, sin, is shatah, shatah, and it's the equivalent word of the Greek word, Hamartia, which also is just translated sin. And it, what both words mean is it means coming short, falling short of the mark. It's used to describe an archer who shoots at a target but doesn't hit it. The target is God's law. The target is God's law and sin by this word is a failure to measure up to it. So it's like comparing yourself to God's law and seeing where you fall short. And the third word is iniquity. 
The Hebrew word hawan. I'm pretty sure that's not how they pronounce it, but that's how it looks like it's pronounced. The NIV interprets this word as sin also. And so you'll get a little confusion, like when you're looking at the NIV version of the Bible, it'll, it'll say transgression, then it'll say sin, and then the second word is sin. And you'll have to look at the original word to see that it's different words. But this one is, is a word that means corrupt, twisted, or crooked. And so the weight of sin comes out in these three terms. You see, transgression, as I said, is a willful, knowledgeable act of rebellion against God. And so it pictures our relationship with God. When we've committed a transgression, we violated our relationship with God. The second word describes our relationship to his divine law. We fall short of it. And because we fall short of the mark of perfection of the law, we are therefore condemned by the law. And the third word describes our ultimate condition. That we are corrupted completely, twisted and crooked in our practice and understanding of righteousness. You see, when the Bible talks about how we are corrupted by sin, it's not saying that we're as bad as we could ever be. What it's saying is that we could never practice righteousness because that part of us is broken. It's corrupted. And so David then goes on and he gives three words or three phrases for what God does with each of these sins. What does God do with sin for those who confess and repent? He forgives, he covers it, and he refuses to charge it against the sinner. See, that word forgiven is the word nasah in Hebrew, and it literally means to carry away or to lift off. You see, when you are forgiven, that burden of guilt, that burden that we carry around of knowing that we've fallen short is lifted off. It's like that hymn, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Covered is what God does with our sin. Remember sin being our violating of the law, our falling short of the law. It's a word that comes from the Day of Atonement imagery in which the high priest of Israel takes blood from an animal that had been sacrificed in the courtyard of the temple and it carries it to the most holy place and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. You see the mercy seat. The mercy seat is the lid for the Ark of the Covenant. And the blood was sprinkled on there because it came between the presence of holy God and the law which was broken, which is contained therein, the ark. And thus the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat is a covering over the law that was broken. And it shielded the sinner from God's judgment. In Greek, the word for mercy seat means propitiation. 
And it's the act of turning God's wrath aside. Hebrew, it's kisah, covered. The third word, it's a negative word. It's saying what God doesn't do. God does not charge the sin against us. This word is translated elsewhere as impute. And for all of you who are in accounting, it is a bookkeeping term. And Paul quotes from this psalm in Romans. You see, in Romans 4, 7, 8, Paul says, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And blessed is the person the Lord never charges with sin. No wonder David describes the one whom God does, does that for as being joyful. What joy it is to be forgiven. And every single one of us who is here today that it knows the forgiveness found in the blood of Jesus Christ knows that joy that you just can't describe it. To have your guilt covered over and the account of your conscience cleared there is no greater joy than to know that your sin has been forgiven, that it has been covered, and it will never be charged against you. But David also shares that pathway to forgiveness. It's one thing to describe what it is to be forgiven. Great, we described it. As you describe forgiveness, somebody goes, I want that. I feel like my back is breaking based on the burdens that I'm carrying, the things that I know that I've done. How do, I, how do I get that? And so David then shares his testimony of the pathway to forgiveness. In verse three, he says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Salah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Salah. So David moves on from experiencing forgiveness and he starts talking about what he experienced before forgiveness. Many of us can attest to being in the same situation before we found forgiveness. When, when we had done wrong and all we wanted to do was to not admit it, to try to ignore it, and definitely, definitely not confess it. You see, David, before forgiveness, he was silent. He was the king over Israel who committed adultery with another man's wife. And then to cover it up, he had that man brought home from battle so that he could say, oh, look, that's his child. And then when that didn't work, then he has the man killed in battle. Bathsheba and Joab were the only two that knew, other than David, what he had done. David chose to keep silent, and he kept silent for about a year. He lived with that guilt for a year. He didn't acknowledge it. He didn't confess his sin. And in a lot of ways, what I think David was doing was he thought if he just stayed quiet, it would pass. Or if he just gave it enough time, time makes all things better, doesn't it? 
That's, that's what our human heart tells us is that, oh, if we just let enough time go by, it'll make it all better. But what happens is he says, instead, I was miserable. He says, my strength was drained. My bones were brittle. Now I've read some books written by an author named Jay Adams. He's what I would call on the extreme side of Calvinism. Uh, he's In his book, he said he can't um, authentically tell someone that Christ died for their sin because he doesn't know if Christ died for their sin. And so I don't agree with everything he says, but he did develop um, part of what we know as neuthetic counseling. Neuthetic counseling is a biblical counseling model in which most of the ailments that people experience and most of the things that are going on um, that people go through counseling for years and years and years and years for is unconfessed sin. It's not everything that people go through counseling for, but there was a lot of it. And there was um, many recorded encounters with some of the most extreme who had such unconfessed sin that they were so torn up by the guilt on it, trying to hide the guilt, not confess the guilt, that they got themselves all tangled up into a catatonic state. They were labeled by the mental health professionals as the most extreme case. But when he shared the light of the gospel and they made that confession, there was healing. Distressed people after counseling and confession have found freedom to regular normal mental capacity and everyday life functioning. And I bring that out to show that guilt weighs heavy and it is crippling to the body. It, it, it's interesting that a spiritual truth causes physical ailments. Spiritual reality manifesting in a physical ailment. And David says during this unconfessed time, day and night without relief, he felt the hand of God upon him heavily says his strength was zapped as if he'd been out in the heat all day. I think we can relate to that, right? We're, we're in the beginnings of our summer. We're not even in the middle of summer yet. And already that heat is just enormously upon us. And I think we need to ask ourselves, maybe the dryness in our life, maybe you're feeling dryness in your life. We need to ask, could it be sin that's being harbored? causing a drought in your spirit. Now, not all dryness in our life is sin, but much of it is. And we might try to minimize it by saying, oh, well, that's just a little sin. Maybe God's trying to deal with us on a sin. Maybe it's our sin of pride. Maybe it's a sin of arrogance and um, not being humble. Maybe it's uh, just fighting and being contentious. Maybe it's something that even goes beyond that when we refuse to confess it, what we do is we start grieving that Holy Spirit who's working in our life to bring us to sanctification. And so that dryness could be the result of sin. And so David then shares his testimony of how he experienced freedom from those ailments, from that feeling that he had, forgiveness, the joy that he got. And it came from this. He acknowledged his sin to God. 
You see, when we sin, we wish we could forget it. We hope and pray that God would overlook it. Maybe even ignore it. But here's the truth. God cannot and God will not ignore sin. And so what he will do is he will be pressure against us that we might acknowledge sin and confess it. Because that is the only way to deal with sin truly, properly, and forever. David chose not to conceal his sin before God any longer. And we're fooling ourselves when we think that we can hide our sin from God. As if God doesn't already know. Man has been trying to hide his sin before God since the garden. David says, I will confess. He's determined to confess his sin. And it was in that confession that forgiveness came to him. And you know what? God hasn't changed since the garden either. See, in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time in the evening breeze. This was after they ate from the tree. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam replied, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. He says, I heard you and I realized that I was shameful and sinful and so I hid. It wasn't until he confessed. We're gonna skip the part where God proclaimed the, the judgment upon sin because we're all living in that now anyway. But I want you to see what happens in verse 21. After confession the Lord God made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. You see, he covered their sin after they confessed. God forgave David's guilt after he confessed. And that's the truth that we need to understand is God forgives our guilt after we confess. Confession, that is the way to restoration, and that is the way to forgiveness from God. The Apostle John writes in his epistle in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even in the Old Testament, we see in the Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 13, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Now, I want you to notice here, verse 5. And if you like to write in your Bible, you could underline verse 5 or do something to emphasize verse 5 because I think verse 5 is the theme and the heart of this whole psalm. It's the heart of David's testimony. The three words used to describe the scope of our guilt and our sin, they're all addressed here in this verse. David acknowledged his sin he did not conceal his iniquity and he confessed his transgressions to the Lord. You see, David confessed it all and God forgave it all. Do not miss a major detail in the forgiveness of God. This forgiveness was not only total, it's immediate. 
the statement of David is he determined to confess and the Lord forgave. And I think it's appropriate, it ends with the word salah. And if we go back and we remember that salah, it's a pause, it's a reflective pause. It's to take a moment to con contemplate and to think about what was just said. Pause to reflect, it's after confession. Don't pause and reflect in confession. There should be no hesitation between confession because there's no hesitation from confession to forgiveness. It's immediate. God does it immediately. The moment you confess before God is the moment that God forgives you in Christ. There's an admonishment from the forgiven. David understands forgiveness. He's experienced the joy of forgiveness. He shared how to get to that forgiveness and his admonishment from it is this. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. He says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Salah. See, after considering the quickness of, of God's forgiveness, David admonishes, he says, everyone should pray to you, God, immediately. Why? Why do we prolong our coming to God and confessing? Why would we prolong it, especially when God promises to forgive? You see, God not only promises to forgive, but in David's experience and in everyone else's experience who has ever come and confessed to God is that this, they find God ready and willing and waiting to forgive. You don't have to go and bang on God's door and wait for him to come and answer. The moment you go up to God's door, he's there. It was shown in the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son in the pigsty says, hey, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life here. I had it so much better. I should go back to my father and I will apologize and I'll tell him I'll take the lowest seat in the house. And he says, he determined there to go back to him. And on the way, the father saw him a distance off and went out to meet him. You see, when we come to God in confession, God sees us. And he comes there to meet us because he's ready, he's willing, and he's waiting to forgive us. And the time for us to come and confess before God, it's immediately. We need to do it immediately. If you're here tonight and you've never confessed your sins to God, you need to do that immediately. That, that verse can also be translated where, where it says, let them pray to you immediately. Is it, it says, let them pray to you while you can be found. The prophet Isaiah says this also, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Because right now God is ready, willing, and wanting to forgive. But there's coming a time where forgiveness will pass and only judgment is left. 
And that's what David is talking about. He says, then when the great floodwaters come, now floodwaters always represent judgment ever since the time of the ark. The flood of judgment. It says, when the flood of judgment comes, they will not reach the ones whose sins are forgiven. You see, when you are forgiven by God, your sins are covered and he holds it against you. He will not charge it against you. And then when judgment comes, you don't have to fear it. Isaiah also says in Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through the waters, God promises to be with you. The rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched and the flame will not burn you. I believe David is simply giving an exhortation to pray now. I think it's another way of saying that today is the day of salvation. None of us has a claim on tomorrow. Maybe you're here right now and you're hearing this and you're experiencing the conviction of God right now. The implication is to confess right now, to to pray right now, to respond right now. Who's to say whether you'll experience God's conviction tomorrow? Who's to say that you're promised another breath after this? Cry out to God now while he may still be found. And when you call out to God in faith, not only will God cover up your sins, but God will cover you. He will surround you with his protective care. When the waters rise, they will not reach you because you've taken covering God. He, like David said, becomes your hiding place. He'll protect you from trouble. He'll surround you with songs of deliverance. David says, call to God while you may before the time of trouble comes and before the time of conviction goes away. When you take cover in God, you are surrounded by his protective care. Now, hiding is a necessary skill for survival when you're in danger. David refers to God as his hiding place, his safety when danger comes. Corey Tim Boom was a Christian during the, the Nazi uh, invasion in Europe and when he was rounding up the Jews and whatnot, her father would hide the Jews, helping them to find safe passage to other countries that would receive them. When her father was taken captive, she took over the work that he did. She provided a place for the Jews to hide from the Nazi stormtroopers And she wrote about all these experiences in her book that she called The Hiding Place. And it's a reminder as we consider what David is saying, as we consider what Corey Tim Boom lived through, as we consider where we're at, that when times get tough, the promise is that you can retreat to the pages of God's word. You see, the Bible is a hiding place for us because we can hide ourselves in the pages and the promises of God's word. 
And at the same time, as we spend time in God's word, as we spend time with God, God himself becomes our hiding place. He becomes the person in whom we can confide. He becomes the person in whom we can receive comfort during our times of trial and difficulty. He becomes our security, our comfort. When we feel trapped and when we feel discouraged, when we feel like everything might be falling apart around us, God himself provides a place where we are protected. You see, God wants to be that hiding place for us. It's not like we messed up and we sinned and God says, okay, if you confess it, I'll forgive you and then you're on your own. He wants us to look to him for protection. He wants us to come to him for care. He wants us to come to him when life is hard. What is the reward that God will give you when you come to him in secret? It's not just forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, the joy that comes from forgiveness is the reward. The joy that comes from being cleansed. It's, it's not a cleansing as in the stain is faded, but still there. No, the stain is washed away entirely. Justified. I love the simple definition. Just if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us. How do we know this? Because this psalm is related to another psalm that David wrote, considering the same thing. Psalm 32 is when David is struggling with the guilt of his sin and how he overcomes it with forgiveness. Psalm 51 is David after he's confessed. Psalm 51:12, restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. You see, Psalm 32 shifts from a cry about guilt to the joy of forgiveness. He says, you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance, Salah. Do you see that change taking place? David goes from guilt to glory. He goes from frustration to forgiveness. He goes from silence of his sin to shouts of joy in his deliverance. It changes his outlook. It changes the way he comes and approaches God. And here's the important thing that we have to see. God never changed. David changed. We changed. God never changes. It's us that he changes. And we have promise in forgiveness as well. Verse 8, you're going to notice there's a change in who it is that's speaking. Verse 8, it says, I will instruct you. That would not make sense if David is still praying to God. I see this as God is now speaking, responding to David's actions, responding to our actions when we come and confess before him. He says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. 
Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. See, David writing these words gives us the promise from the Lord to the backslider of instruction for the pathway ahead. He's keeping his eye on us. He's providing us with counsel. As we face the confusion and the decisions of life, when we confess our sin and we get back on that right track, God says, I will watch over you. I will help you stay on that right track. As I said before, God doesn't forgive our sin and say, okay, um, go your own way. Hope you don't get in a mess again. He keeps his eye on us, providing us with counsel. But his counsel comes with a warning for us to watch out that we do not act like a horse or mule, bucking and kicking against the leading and direction of God. You see, the, the, both animals require the same treatment to get them to submit. It requires a bit and a bridle. Why? Because the horse, it's restless. The horse is always wanting to move ahead, always wanting to go without command. The mule, the mule just obstinately refuses to move, even when commanded, even when directed. The caution is for us that as we have received forgiveness, also receive the instruction, being obedient and sensitive to the Lord's direction. That way he doesn't need to use a heavy hand or harsher discipline to bring us back into line. God promises to keep an eye on the one who's restored as they continue to travel along in life so that they do not get lost or go wrong again. Forgiveness is great, but to have protection and promise to not repeat that sin again and to be able to continue walking in the right way, that's amazing. To ignore God's leading and counsel is to be nothing more than a brute beast without understanding. Proverbs 26.3. The writer of Proverbs just always has that wisdom for us. A whip is for the horse, a bridle is for the donkey, and a rod is for the back of fools. Parents, this is why the Bible tells us to not spare the rod lest we spoil the child. The rod is to keep people from becoming fools. The promise of forgiveness is that pain will come for the wicked. Pain will come for the unrepentant. Pain will come for the sinful and the transgressor who wants to hide and will not confess their rebellion or their sin. The other side of that promise is that the one who trusts in the Lord has faithful love. We've seen that word before. It's chesed. It's a trifecta of God's covenant, strength, and love. You can't 
separate those three from that word. And that's the love that we have surrounding us. Disaster pursues sinners, but good rewards the righteous. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. In the final verse of Psalm 32, David makes it clear. Rejoicing is a non-optional activity for those who know the forgiveness of God. Those of us, when we consider and we remember and we sit back and we contemplate on that forgiveness that God has given us, we can't help but rejoice because the burden that we no longer bear, the stain that we no longer wear, those who know forgiveness have something to shout about. Do you? Have you experienced his forgiveness? Can you and will you rejoice today? The most important question that we can ask ourselves, who's covering our sin? Are we covering it up or has God covered it over? with the blood on the mercy seat? Are you silent and unconfessing, hoping that if you ignore it, it'll just go away? Or have you come and confessed your sin before God and received his forgiveness? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy because if you have come and confessed before God, you are up right in heart. That means your heart has been transformed. It is righteous. And here's the truth. God can forgive all sin. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Paul persecuted the early church. Peter denied Christ. Why is that recorded in scripture? To remind us that God can forgive all sin. The only sin he refuses to forgive is the unconfessed sin. But there's another joy in forgiveness as well. Maybe you're here tonight and you've already been forgiven by God and you're experienced that joy of forgiveness. There's another joy of forgiveness, and that's when you forgive others as well. Peter asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And for him, that was hyperbole, because the law only said three, or the tradition. Seven times? And the context of Peter's question was, how many times do I forgive my brother for the same offense? And Jesus replied, I say not seven times, but seven times 70. And no, he wasn't just trying to say you have 490 times and you should keep a good record of that. Jesus himself was using hyperbole back to say, forgive them as many times as they come to you for forgiveness. 
And there's another place in the Gospels that Jesus is recorded as telling them, be careful to forgive others. Because if you do not forgive others, then your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Why? Because a heart that has truly been forgiven has that joy and it forgives others. Experience joy and give joy to those whom you need to. Forgive them and watch joy fill that space that was once heavy laden and burdensome. Before you leave here tonight, I would encourage you and I would admonish you. Clear your accounts with God. Confess your sins before God. Leave here filled with the joy of forgiveness. And as you leave here filled with the joy of forgiveness because things have been made right between you and your heavenly father, seek those out whom you need to forgive and free them. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we just thank you, Father, for David recording his heart here, Father God, and, and just the spiritual truths that are here. And Lord, to see this promise and this truth of you that you are a good and gracious God, forgives the sins for those who would come and humble themselves and confess them before you, Father. Lord, you proved that. You proved that you forgive sin because you sent your son to be the sacrifice to cover the sin, to pay the price for sin, that you would not have to charge it against us. Lord, your word tells us that as many as receive Christ, to them he gives the right to become children of God. It, it's just a big fancy way of saying to them he forgives their sin. And makes them right, makes us right, and places us back into the family and fellowship with you, Lord. In forgiveness, the wrath of God is put away. And we have that peace. The Bible describes it and calls it the peace of God, but truly it's the peace with God. Father, remind us of that joy that we have and help us to shout the songs of deliverance with joyful shouts. Help us to take that joy of our forgiveness, Father God. And I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, reveal to us in our heart where we may be withholding forgiveness or where we may not be aware that we need to provide forgiveness, Father God, but help us to be vessels proclaiming the truth of God's forgiveness through everyone that we come in contact with, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.